Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut or shortened due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Listening colour. Welcome to Jazz Shapers. It's me, Elliot Moss. It's where the shapers of business join the shapers of jazz, soul and blues. I'm very pleased to say my guest today is Osama Kashu, filmmaker, human rights activist and founder of Hiba Restaurants, the family-owned Lebanese and Palestinian restaurant group. I confess I'm an absolute fan of those restaurants. Born in Palestine, Osama's filmmaking interest began when he found a broken camera and pretended to film checkpoints and street demonstrations, noticing that Israeli soldiers reacted differently. He learned to make reports and documentary films and worked for various Palestinian radio and television companies and as a photographer for Reuters. In 2001, he co-founded the International Solidarity Movement, a non-violent Palestinian-led activist network. But after organising protests opposing the West Bank Wall, Osama was forced to leave. He came to the UK in 2003, studying his masters and making a documentary, My Dear Olive Tree, about the destruction of his village's olive groves. In 2012, without any knowledge of the restaurant industry, he launched his family of Hibba, meaning a lovely surprise, restaurants in London. The three venues with grandmother Hadjeh as the main chef now employ around 50 staff from all over the Arab world, as he says, and support refugee charities in Syria, Lebanon and Palestine. And between March and May this year, Osama launched a crowdfunding campaign for the NHS, providing thousands of meals to frontline staff. We're from Palestine, he said, where the situation of lockdown and curfew is very familiar. My team and I are really happy that we are doing something worthwhile during this surreal period. Hello. I declare an interest. I'm, your falafel is the best falafel I've ever had. Thank I reckon. Even even from my Middle Eastern experiences. I think, you know, I, I always claim that it's the best falafel in Europe. And I challenge people to bring something. It better. And the thing is, it's green. Yes. And that is because... Because of a lot of green stuff inside, from parsley to chili to uh, coriander. And uh, the most amazing uh, touch of our haji is, I don't know, just this secret from Jerusalem that we use. And it's not a secret. It's just we use exactly what they used to do for thousands of years, you know. And it's really, really important, the story of falafel. You know, when the Ottoman soldiers used to come and take all of the crops from the farmers, the farmers would break and destroy some of the crops so the Ottomans wouldn't, wouldn't show interest in it. So the Ottomans would take the brine crops and then the broken stuff will lift behind for the farmers and the farmers have to kind of create something out of it, which basically hummus and falafel. Uh-huh. Mm. That makes sense. But also the, the thing about the falafel is you've got the authentic one and I want to talk about authenticity with you. Mm. I think it's a, a thing um, for you or for us rather as we talk to you. The normal falafel or often falafel is yellow. And it's got this yucky color, but this is this is because it's not made with the proper ingredients. It's a cheaper version of falafel, and I think the, I don't like. I'm not an expert on falafel, uh, but we know that <laughs> apart from having a Lebanese Palestinian <laughs> restaurant that sells the best falafel in Europe, you're not an expert in falafel. If you, no, if you're not an expert, someone yeah. who is the expert? The granny, and she knows it all. I the think <laughs> she doesn't uh, cook or make anything which we uh, which she doesn't feel it's right, and we don't use uh, falafel bees. We use just the Mexican 12 caliber uh, chickpeas, which is the most expensive. And it's, it's very, very important that it's soaked overnight. 
um, and then it, it, the water has changed three times. I think these little details are very important. And I think she said, like, we, you need to handle with care. You know, falafel or hummus are particularly like a relationship. You, ha- you need to handle with care. You know, when we crush it, you have to crush it with ice, not cold water. You don't need to put it in a freezer. You put it in a fridge. There's so many terms and conditions which I cannot keep up with. So every time I go to the kitchen and they're doing it and I try to make one comment, I'll be chased out of the kitchen. And I think that is the best way. Well, there's funny, <laughs> so funny, funny enough. So, so we met when um, I came to one of the restaurants in Hoban, very, yeah. very close to uh, Mishkondare. And I was with one of my children. And we met and we had an extraordinary conversation. And, and we started talking about stuff. Your life before your business and your journey and I, I think you're you're a traveler in many ways I feel from a, a emotional and um, educational perspective for sure and probably others as well tell me a little bit about how you arrived in this country and how you then briefly got yourself from where you were with film into the world of, of food gosh that's a very complicated story and we're going to do it in bits so we're going to do the first part just to whet the appetite good luck the pun. Go for it. I'm going to give you the first bit, and then, we get, then we, we've got some more wonderful music. Well, I was living in Palestine, being cool with sunglasses that I wear during the night more than the day. Um, I was a, a radio DJ, just playing some really funny, lovely music. And, you know, this is way before the Facebook. I'm talking in, uh, like, to, you know, 1999, 2000. So I, uh, I've hijacked the signals of the main radio station in a small village, in a small town in Palestine, which is very close to... It's, it's between... The green line which divides Palestine from Israel, or the Palestinian uh, city where I'm from, Kalkilia. And uh, I started actually by tapping into the settlers' waves. So the settlers used, you know, the radio station to do their prayers and announcements, schools and everything. So I used to, I, I, I developed this technique. I was very, very good at school. So we, we developed the technique to hijack their FM signal. And we broadcast on it beautiful lovely messages between lovers uh, so i would ha- i have like secret post box in a in a photographer studio in a, in a city center and the girls and the boys after school would drop their love messages uh, to them like the lover of the sunset to the moon uh, you know the moon to the my lovely cat i don't know this crazy nickname but they know each other and then i gather these messages i go back at night after midnight i'll go with this kind of like whisper of love my radio show called and on whisper of love we just deliver messages between lovers and it's amazing i loved it that was my life my life was all about radio you know my, my life was all about finding some really cheeky music and remember i have to go to 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 bribe people for a cassette you know the small cassettes the internet was slowly slowly creeping in i had a, a friend of mine who managed also to hijack the internet signal from kfar saba which is a very close israeli city to us uh, we're not allowed to have you know high technology because of israeli incubation but we've got lots of beautiful brains and they managed to hijack an internet signal i remember in that time the only two cities who have like internet lease lines maybe a, a city in canada and us because this guy would just take free internet and he did his own internal network so we used to have like internet by line you're talking about 1999 or 2000 now the, the crazy stuff that i was known to some but i was unknown to the other I don't really go publicly with my name on the radio station because it's not very fancy what I do and it doesn't really... It wasn't very popular amongst older generation uh, because it's not considered to be, uh, you know, culturally appropriate. appropriate. So let's stop there. It's not considered to be appropriate. Our summer is on the radio. He's broadcasting and it's these interesting love messages. Part one. (laughs) 
Osama Kashu is my business shaper, founder of Hibba Restaurants, the family-owned Lebanese and Palestinian restaurant group with the wonderful Hadje, or grandmother as she's known, and she's the head chef. And as I said, they gave thousands of free meals in the first lockdown this year to frontline NHS staff, which tells you something very particular about Osama's attitude to society. So I want to know where that attitude came from. And you've taken us back, Osama, to the late 90s. We're in Palestine, in a radio station. You've hijacked the airways. You've got lovers passing messages. And then what? Then what? Um, the second Intifada started. I was just a cool guy who wanted to be famous with my DJ friend. And that was my mission. I would do anything for that. I've uh, even went to uh, to study medicine for my grandmother so they can leave me alone. But they didn't know what I was doing. That was my little secret. I was doing it without a name. So I wasn't even famous with my name, but I was famous with my actions. And suddenly the intifada happened. We didn't know what was what, what was that. But what I know, it was a, a nice opportunity because every single radio station and local TV station was shot by Israel. And we are the only spared ones because nobody knew that we existed. So for me, it was an opportunity to fame. Um, it's, 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 it's the time that we, we, we could broadcast not just one hour after midnight or two hours after midnight. Now mm. we can be 24 hours. And at Hallelujah. this stage, you're like 19. 18. I think it was, yeah, it was 19 and a half, maybe just 19. Yeah, yeah 19. Yeah. So we uh, went live and we were broadcasting nothing but beautiful music and dance DJs and everything else is while the whole, like the whole hell break loose outside of the, you know, in the streets and the Israeli tanks are invading and, and we just basically just having fun and my lovely followers, they're also having fun with me. And then suddenly we received this, uh, we started receiving phone calls and we received this phone call from this like crazy woman who's crying her lungs out. And she's like, I'm in labor. I don't know what to do. Can you help me? And I was like, okay. Like I am getting some phone calls from people who want to kind of listen to this music or dedicate this love song to this lover. And suddenly this woman wanted me to tell her how to give birth. And I was like, excuse me? Then my, my DJ friend realized that, look, the hospital, nobody can access the hospital and the ambulance and to, to move. And this woman found our phone number and she called us for help. Then that things hit me. And we tried to give her some instruction for how to give birth. We couldn't. And luckily, a doctor was listening and he called in and he was giving her live on air instruction how to give birth. And she delivered the baby. And we hear the baby. And we were crying. And we were shocked. And that was the last song I played on the, on the radio because that incident encouraged so many people to call us for help. Yeah. A, a woman who lost her babies, she doesn't know where they are. They wear like red jackets and whatever. And then another guy called and said like, oh, we've had them in the street and now they are in, in, in our house. Don't worry, they are safe. So it suddenly became a community Become an emergency. Yeah, it yeah. was completely crazy. And that was my, uh, I think, launched into uh, 100% politics because I thought like this is, this is, I don't know what, I mean, I, mean, I was suddenly want to be famous and lovely and everything else. Is, and, and you switched. And then... Phew, So stay with me. So fame becomes politics and we're going to move from politics into what happens next. That's part three with me here on a very unusual Jazz Shapers and a very fabulous guest, Osama Kashu. Stay with me for much more from him. But right now, let's hear a taster from the Mishkon Academy digital sessions, which can be found on all of the major podcast platforms. Mishkon Derez, Tom Grogan and Alistair Moore discuss artificial intelligence and machine learning, their possible application and the key things for organizations to consider when seeking to implement them. Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. Conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and individuals today. So Alistair, what sort of things should organisations be thinking about when they consider the implementation of AI? There's several different things that you need to think about. 
commercially, you need to start by identifying where it's going to create value. Technically, you need to think about what appropriate systems to use. How do they work? How can you explain how they work within your organization? Legally, compliant by design, how do the prevailing legal and regulatory frameworks apply to the system you're creating? And ethically, does it really do what you want? Is it aligned with your organization's values? You want a degree of comfort that the new system is going to achieve its aims and not create new problems that you're unaware of. Absolutely. Thankfully, the the MDRX tech team are across all of these things and we can help organizations do some really cool things with greater confidence. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. To access advice for businesses that is regularly updated, please visit mishcon.com. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You can enjoy all our former Jazz Shapers and hear this very program again by popping Jazz Shapers into your podcast platform of choice, or if you have a smart speaker, you can ask it to play Jazz Shapers. But back to today's guest, it's Osama Kashu, filmmaker, human rights activist, founder of Hibba Restaurants, great storyteller, and all sorts of other things. You've talked very poignantly about that move from desiring fame to realizing that, hold on a minute, there's a world here that's called politics, even if you didn't call it politics, then it was like, people need help. And there's a political awakening. There's an awakening or summer of, of what your life might become. Yeah. So from the radio program, you then, as I understand it, you founded the International Solidarity Movement. That was yes. in 2001. Yeah. It's quite hard to found something, whether it's a, a business or whether it's a political yeah. party. How? Why, why you? Why did you do it then? What compelled you and how did you manage to pull it off? That era was very important. Movement was the most important stuff and we were not allowed to move. We We move only if there is a foreigner with a blonde hair, blue eyes, or a journalist with a camera. And that was, for me, a crazy move because I want to move. I can't stay still. And I needed to get to be friends with these either, you know, blonde and blue eyes and or journalists. So basically, my world become very biased towards journalists and blonde guys because I just want to kind of have my freedom. I, my freedom was very important. I want to move, 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 move. So I've nicknamed myself Lorenzo. I was the Italian journalist. I speak a little bit Italian, a little bit English. And uh, I uh, I carried, uh, I, I found a broken camera in one of the landfills. And I, I pretended to be a journalist uh, and I've made my own fake business ID. I've created a charity called the BCI, Peace Child International, that never existed. And I was just traveling to the Chickmunt. Who are you, Zuri? I'm from Italy. My name is Lorenzo. Sometimes a journalist, sometimes a human rights uh, BCI. And then slowly, slowly, these lies become reality. And these uh, students on exchange programs from England, from America, from even, you know, some, 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 some Jewish guys who came to Israel using their birthright and they're interested in exploring the territories. Uh, suddenly I make friends with them. I didn't know that. I, I never heard of, of birthright. So they become my friends. So slowly, slowly I have like a, a, a good uh, amount of friends that I thought maybe I should manipulate them. Do you want to have an interest? So we go to that checkpoint. So my journey suddenly become uh, to, to visit checkpoints so I can open the checkpoints because whenever we are there, the Palestinians can go to hospitals, can go to whatever. So that becomes suddenly my life, traveling every day between checkpoints as a, a fake Lorenzo Italian journalist or uh, as a just a friend of uh, translator for these guys. And sometimes I just had a bunch of people who don't speak English at all. Like I've got one one time I remember I have like uh, somebody from Italy who doesn't speak English from the Basque country. I'm from Catalonia. And I, I had to create a language, which basically based on nothing. And they would just, <laughs> by the language, start communicating. So we, I called it the Casa language, which is basically United. 
invite all of these crazy people together. I, I didn't know it will be called later on the ISM movement because also other people were doing the same thing in Bethlehem, in Jerusalem, in Ramallah, yeah. and we got together. And the idea then was how can we get people on a cheap trip to Palestine and they become our friends? That's it. Okay. Now, many apologies for having to shorten this, but your experiences, the incredible life you've lived so far, are simply not going to fit into this one hour. So excuse me, I'm going to move us forward to you leaving Palestine. And it was, to be clear, the violence that forced you to leave. And you came to London and effectively you had to start again, a new life. And we're going to be talking about that new life and how your three restaurants came into being in just a few minutes. Samakash is my business shaper and I feel like I'm on a journey with you and it's a shorter journey because we could do this for absolutely hours you come to London via all those countries you're here you end up as I understand it in film school you had been homeless someone basically one of the the teachers essentially found some money in a scholarship fund to, to enable you to go is this right to, to, to enable you to attend this incredible uh, national film and television school is that correct yeah, that was later. I Basically, I landed in London. I, I started uh, living the exile. I didn't know what is exile before. Um, really terrible. Uh, I terribly missed my place, my friends, my surroundings, my everything. It was very hard, in particularly because I, um, I, you know, it's not easy for me to ask for help. Um, I've got lots of contacts, but they would help me for two days, three days, four days, five days. But I couldn't really ask for a lot of help because my dignity was on the line. Um, I wanted to study. I know one thing that I promised my grandmother that I want to go to school. I tried. I applied to all the universities. But unfortunately, by that time, I had no documents. I have no paper. I have no status. I have no money. I have nothing. So I was literally, literally in the street. And uh, I thought, why not go for something outside London? And uh, I've met this wonderful uh, English family who I, you know, they are my family here, uh, Peter and Holly. They suggested to me, Maybe you could go to the film school, the National Film and Television School. And they know our contact there, Dick Fontaine. They contacted him. I went and I didn't know it's a very hard school to get to. And I went there and I thought I would never get a chance after hearing all these crazy stories about the school. And uh, they accepted me. And that was a shock. I was living in Marleybone Station. So where did, eventually, when did you, from this moment or somewhere where you've talked yeah. about not having a home, at what point in this country... Did you actually have your own roof with electricity and all the things that you hadn't even had, you know, you hadn't had for years? Was it years? Was it was it months? In uh, in London? Yeah. Uh, well, I've mastered the idea of squatting. I've made a good friends with a lot of people who would give me their sofas. And even my uh, the head of my uh, department, who I used to go and cook for him and talk and then fell asleep on uh, on his sofa and it's it, and then i started living in the kitchen of the school you know in the school kitchen uh, that is the basically uh, that is the journey before i went and i applied for asylum and you know i got some help from the nas wonderful nas support the you know the asylum support yeah. service i mean people do, people do underestimate how important when you're lost and have nothing this little helps this is extraordinary this this life of yours and now you know when 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 we meet here you've got your three restaurants there's 50 people working for you you've provided thousands of meals across lockdown it's like how do you manage to transition to being part of a structure when you were completely outside of it again and again how have you managed to square away all these inc i mean we've talked probably one percent of the stories one percent of the life experiences you've had how have you managed to now do what you do Look, Elliot, I think 
the problem that we have when in I've realized when you live in a very institutionalized places, which is very clean, very organized, very structured, with a clear system, it's it's a nightmare and it's a blessing. If you don't understand what you're doing, it's a nightmare. And if you understand what is that enable and allow you to do, it's a blessing. And I think coming from this uh, refugee camp uh, background with uh, my journey, I found London, which I call proudly my hometown now. It gave me the opportunity and the chance to explore other things that I was very hungry to do and very hungry to explore. I've got this freedom. I'm very, very, very uh, loyal to London and I would defend it. There is something in London which is unique and special, and I wanted to use it. And I wanted to enable myself through this infrastructure, but I just don't want to apply the system that exists because I saw this system is therefore is a safety net. But if you would stay within that institutionalized system, you can't do anything. And why? Because I know that there is something in the city that I can do. And I know it's in a film industry or in a falafel industry or in any other industry. You just need to be brave and do it in a very unconventional way. You cannot take no for an answer, and you should not allow anybody to tell you how you can evolve out of your shell. Because nobody know your shell, and nobody know you apart from you. And I just employed everything I've learned in Palestine in London. Hence, in the first lockdown, I've decided in February, that we are not a business, we are going to function in central London as a relief committee. The only way to survive and to live through this is to be a relief committee. Because what is happening is not a business orientated. It is a disaster. It's a war plan. So you need to be in a war mentality to be able to understand what's going to happen. And, you know, we're still standing. We have difficulties, but we are standing. We're helping people. We, my boys are there, you know, none of them sat at home. And it's, it's, it's amazing and it's crazy. And at the same time, it's very promising that, you know, I can see things that comes out of this, you know, hardships. You know, there's a lot of opportunities. You just need to kind of like, Unlock this curtains and you'll see the sunshine coming. But hold, hold that thought. Yeah. It's an excellent thought. Osama Kashi, my business shaper, founder of Hiba Restaurants, talking about turning his restaurant business into a relief committee during lockdown earlier this year, giving thousands of free and crowdfunded meals to London's doctors and nurses, to NHS staff on the front line of this pandemic. We'll have our final chat with the summer, plus play a track from George Benson. That's coming up in just a moment. I'm sure, like me, you're not going to go anywhere. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Well, Summer Kashi is my business shaper just for a few more minutes. Pretty unusual one, too. I haven't had someone who has come, um, had to seek asylum, been homeless, uh, enrolled in a film school, had proper stories of converting the power of fame into politics. I mean, seriously, uh, extraordinary and, and, as you said, unconventional. You had a lovely thought before about the, the, the curtains being open to opportunities through this crisis. It strikes me, Osama, there's only one way you've been able to live your life, which is that it's been through your actions. It's been through doing stuff. Because if you didn't do stuff, you and I wouldn't be in this room now together with nice light and electricity, recording a program and so on mm. and so forth. It wouldn't be there. What in you has made you such an action-oriented guy versus millions of us that sit and think about stuff and don't do things? You said it. Mental and physical are very, very connected. And you need to move your mental ideas 
and your ideas in general into a physical action so they can they can produce babies you know and conflict is amazing gift that make things happen and that is basically my uh, take uh, I go and I teach people and the minute they say like I've got nothing I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm completely um, you know useless and I say that's fantastic that is exactly your wealth and you need to dig in deeper into these things and understand that having nothing is an amazing opportunity because you can do anything and everything. Because if you have something, you would always work to protect that something because you are fearful of losing that something. And you have to dig in deeper into why everyone is different. Why is your signature matter in this business line or that business line? And how can you basically, as I said before, just rebuild out of the institution and become completely a shining star? Into, I'm not saying that I'm a shining star, but what I'm saying is, 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 is conflict is an amazing gift sometimes because it makes you creative. It makes you, uh, innovative. It makes a lot of things that you, you, you think are unachievable, achievable. And you have to create something that doesn't exist from the area that you don't know that it did exist before. And that is, and that is where your strength lies. And I think you just need to get in touch with the strength. And I always use the model of a skeleton. You've got the skeleton. The muscles is not a problem. There's so many gems. There's so many great people that you can talk to. Just talk to people. They're your keys. They're your strength. If I spoke to you in five years, if I spoke to you in 10 years, is Osama the same guy who's going to be saying the same provocative thing, saying be unconventional? Is that, is that if there was a life philosophy, is that it? Or does it change? I think that never has changed. That would never change. And if that, if that changed, that's mean that I'm not creative and I need some help. So please help me. Get me out of that mentality. Because we all, I mean, the nature of our human beings' behavior is all about discovery. And, you know, I think we all want happiness. But success doesn't mean happiness all the time. Does it make sense? And I don't think your success is measured by how much money you make or how much, you know, your success is measured by how happy you are and how creative you are. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get to these philosophical ideas of why you're doing what you do. If I ask you the same questions, why, I mean, you don't need money. Why are you doing this program? Why are you doing this show? Why are you doing what, what, what do you do? And if you dig deeper, there is a bigger force that, that, that basically moves you. And I, I do believe that when you localize your global and you globalize your local in a very, very, very weird way, then you become who you are as an infant. Infinity and not just as a body who would just basically die one day and decay and become a memory. No, your energy, your ontological part, your, your, your whole existence is unlimited. The whole idea that you need to share who you are with so many people, with so many ideas, with so many arenas, and you need to be completely global in a very local way. And your strength is technically taken from your inner circle, from who you are relating to family-wise, friends-wise. And I don't know, with this age of technology and IT, we need to evolve. We need to adapt the way we talk. We need to adapt the way we, we eat. We need to adapt the way we think. We need to adapt the way we do business. But at the same time, we need to be very humble because we all need to go to the toilet at the end of the day. And what a way to end. Who would have thought that's where it was going to go? <laughs> Listen, uh, it's been extraordinary talking to you. I've loved it. Um, I mm. um, have only got time for one more question, which is what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? Hmm. My, my song choice for my wonderful friends, the 47 Souls. 47 Souls is, um, is a beautiful band and I've helped them, you know, the song More Light. We need more light. So when you open the curtain, you see that light and we need even more light behind that curtain so you can... Discover how beautiful, how wonderful you are and what can you do? You're unstoppable and you're wonderful. Just a little bit more light and you're on it, baby. <laughs> that was 47 Soul with more light, the song choice of my business shaper, Osama Kashu. He talked about opening the curtains and seeing the opportunities, about the importance of freedom 
and about the importance of continual discovery and reinvention. Fantastic stuff. That's it from Jazz Shapers. Have a lovely weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoyed that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishkon.com forward slash jazz shapers.